Amen. Well, being a dad is great. I also have a great dad. And, you know, I imagine as a father, one of the scarier things is having one of your adult children be the only person in the room with a microphone. I'm going to talk about my dad a little bit this morning. My dad is, is an incredible dad. He's kind. He's patient. He's caring. He's fun. He tells me all the time how proud he is of me. And every single time, it's like the first time I'm hearing it, I cry a little bit. And it's a good thing that my dad is kind and patient and all of these things because he had me for a son. And when I was in my late teenage, early 20 years, I was a difficult person to parents. Uh, there was this tension that I had in my relationship with my dad for a while. As I was growing up and realizing that I wasn't him and trying to figure out who I was, it created this palpable tension between us. A great example is when I was 18 years old and I bought a motorcycle. Now, uh, I bought a motorcycle when I was 18 because I wanted to be cool. And in my mind, what could be cooler than a guy on a motorcycle? And that's why I went and bought the coolest motorcycle I could find, which was a Honda Rebel 250. And if you know anything about motorcycles, you know that is the least cool motorcycle that has ever been produced. It's the size of a moped. It looks like it was made for children. And that's what I bought because that was all that the finance guy would approve me for since I didn't have a job and just lied about working at the last place that I had quit about a year ago. And so they gave me this motorcycle, zero money down, and I didn't have to pay payments for two months. And so that was future John Mark's problem. How was I going to pay the $150 a month? Not my problem. Future John Mark has to worry about that. Today's John Mark gets to ride a motorcycle. Come on. And I rode that thing. First thing that I wanted to do was impress Rayelle, who's my wife now at the time, could not convince her to date me. And I knew the motorcycle would do the trick. So I drove my motorcycle directly to her apartment and wanted her to come down and look at it. She would not come and look at it and just said, that is the stupidest thing you could have done. And this is why I eventually married her because I needed her. Okay. She didn't look at it. And so, you know, I was like, you know what? I'll go show my parents. My dad will be excited. He had a motorcycle when he was young. So I drove my motorcycle and uh, got it to the house and pull up in the driveway on the motorcycle. And my dad's outside waxing a car. And I come pulling up into the motorcycle. And he turns around and looks and sees me on that motorcycle. And he throws that rag down on the hood of the car. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, he said, what is that? I said, it's the motorcycle, Dad. He said, whose is it? I said, it's mine. And then there were some more questions about how I paid for it, whose money there was. And that conversation ended with him saying, give me the helmet. I gave him the helmet. He put it on. He said, follow me in my car. And I followed him on the motorcycle I had just bought back to the Honda dealership where he utilized the dad, angry dad return policy and returned the motorcycle. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> it was. <laughs> the, the next morning, I was living at college at the time, but I spent the night at their house that night. I, I think it was my choice. I can't remember. And uh, I woke up the next morning and my dad came into the room early and he said, let's go have some breakfast. And he took me to breakfast at the Waffle House. And we sat down at breakfast at the Waffle House. We hadn't really talked much. I mean, he came in from the dealership. We just went back to the house and I think I went to bed immediately at like 4 p.m. <laughs> the next morning we went to breakfast and he sat down at breakfast and calmly and kindly said, son, you're going to have to figure out how to make some decisions in your life you got to figure out where you're headed. you got to figure out where you want to go and who you want to be. Because right now, it's not going so well. 
And uh, that was the conversation that, put, that led me to decide to go and join the Coast Guard shortly after that. And honestly, that was the very best thing that a young man like me ever could have done. And so I think that my dad handled that scenario pretty well. He crushed it. There was not much yelling. There was no physical violence of any kind. There was some bridled anger, but it was well bridled. And uh, I think he really handled it. But I think parenthood is a lot of moments like these. A lot of moments with unexpected conversations with our kids. There's a lot of times where you find yourself in a place you never thought you would be with your children. And then you have a choice, dads about how we're gonna respond. And sometimes the way that we respond is spectacular, like how my dad responded. And sometimes the way that we respond is less than great. And what I wanna talk about today for a few minutes, I kinda got two messages here. I got a message of hope, and I got a great encouraging thing for the dads in the room, that's coming later. First, I wanna talk to everybody who's ever had an interaction with a father. Because Father's Day, like Mother's Day, is a complicated holiday. There's a lot of different people in the room today. A lot of people that came from different experiences with the Father. Some of you are blessed, like I am, have a wonderful father, good relationship with your dad. But there's still tense moments in there. And there are still choices that you're still thinking about and dealing with today. Some of you in the room didn't have a father, didn't know your father, or your father wasn't around, left early. Some of us have... Uh, difficult to talk about relationships with our dads. A lot of pain and hurt there. There's just a lot of different experiences in the room. But for almost every single person, no matter whether you had a great dad or an absent dad or anything in between, there are these wounds that we have in our hearts that come from our relationships with our fathers. And here's why. Your relationship with your father is one of the most important relationships in your life. And the reason is because over and over again, Scripture talks about our God in heaven as a father, that we were built to experience a father relationship. And a father provides things that can't be provided anywhere else in this life. And so however our father, good he was or not, because we live in a broken world where sin is just in us, we, there are always going to be wounds that develop inside of us. And so what I want to talk about is those father wounds. I want to talk about David for a minute. A really encouraging story from David's life. We, we just finished a series called Season 1 of Binge the Bible, and we've been talking about uh, the story of Scripture. And last weekend we did 1 Samuel, and we talked about the story of 1 Samuel and, and uh, David's life, early life, how he got to be king and where he was all the way up till he was almost to when he was anointed king, and then we left it on a cliffhanger. Well, what I want to do today is skip way ahead in David's life, many, many years ahead in David's life. And David is a king, and he's been a king in Israel for a long time now, and he's gone through a lot of different things. But we find him in 2 Samuel chapter 13 having some family problems with his grown children. A couple chapters before that, David, who is God's redeemer king and a man after God's own heart, David has fallen to sin. David had an affair with a married woman, and he had her husband killed to try and cover it up once she got pregnant. Very messy situation. Chaos in his life as a result of sin. Even David, who the Bible paints as a good man, was not above sin. 
And because of this, Nathan the prophet comes to David and confronts him about his sin just before David repents. But he tells him that as justice for his sin, that God is going to allow calamity to fall upon his family. And so in chapter 13, we see David living in the results and in the consequences of his sin. The sins of the father are visited upon the son. David has eight wives at this time. The Bible talks a lot about polygamy, but it never paints it in a positive light. It is always in chaos and pain that we see polygamy in the Bible. David has eight wives, and one of his sons becomes infatuated with his half-sister Tamar. He forces himself upon her. It is a terrible, terrible story. David finds out about this, and he's extremely distraught about it. He's heard about it. But he doesn't do anything about it. He shows everyone that he is not happy that it's happened, but he doesn't follow the law or even what's right in dealing with his son Amnon, who has committed this sin against his half-sister Tamar. Now Tamar has a brother named Absalom. Absalom is absolutely heartbroken about what's happened to his sister and he doesn't understand why his father allowed it to go unpunished. So after two years of planning and plotting, Absalom kills his half-brother. But that's not enough. Absalom hates his father because his father has done nothing to protect or avenge his daughter. The laws of Israel say that Amnon should have been put to death by David, that the daughter's father should take part, should lead a stoning on Amnon. That's the way the law was written at the time. David didn't do that, and he didn't punish Amnon at all. And so in Absalom's eyes, it made him complicit in Amnon's sin. All of this led to a civil war in which Absalom tried to kill and usurp David. And it all ends with Absalom dead and David mourning both of his sons and the loss of all that has happened in the context of his family. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Nothing like a Father's Day message about David and Absalom. It's an extreme story, but it illustrates a really clear point for us today. Many of us have a chaos living inside of us that is a result of the relationship we had or didn't have with our fathers. Yours is most likely not extreme like this, but there may be things inside of you that are either there or not there because of fatherhood. Things that your father didn't do, like in Absalom's story, or things that he did do. Things that were small, but had big ramifications. Things that were not small. Because of this chaos in his heart, Absalom's life unraveled. Yours doesn't have to. Our relationship with our father or lack thereof has profound implications on who we become as an adult. And many of us are living with big father wounds. We live in a culture with a fathering problem. Fatherhood has been under attack for a long time. In, in my grandparents' generation, the divorce rate was 22%. In my parents' divorce in my parents' generation, in one generation, it jumped from 22% to 51%. In my generation, it's creeping up to 56%. There is a fathering problem in our country. 
and in the world that we're living in. And because of all of this pain and hurt that is happening around fatherhood, there are a lot of us dealing with wounds that we don't really know what to do with. And it's affecting us in every way. Maybe you had a wonderful father like I did. That's amazing. But I would be willing to bet there are still some wounds that you have from your father that require healing. And those wounds, they dwell in the deepest part of your heart. Psalm 109, David says, But you, sovereign Lord, you help me for your name's sake. And out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I believe that these wounds reside in the deepest part of our hearts. And they leave us asking the same questions that we were asking when we were kids. Who am I? Am I capable? Am I noticed? Am I good enough? Until we begin to address these wounds, we'll keep asking these questions in every relationship in our lives in one way or another. We'll search for our identity through the approval of our boss. We'll define our identity by the performance that we're able to give at work or anywhere else. We'll be hard on ourselves with every failure. These questions will permeate every aspect of us. In the case of Absalom, it led to an unraveling. Maybe at times it has for you as well, but I don't believe that that is the way it has to be. And so here's a few things to help you move forward and heal your father wounds. The first thing is the biggest thing, and that is that you need to forgive your father. Jesus talks so much about forgiveness in his teachings. It's in almost every sermon in one way or another. It is, uh, it is the central theme. Every single time he gets up to speak, he talks about forgiveness. And the reason why is simple. He came to bring and offer forgiveness. Forgiveness was at the center of his mission, but he knew that we would not be able to receive it if we were not able to give it. We can't forgive ourselves or allow ourselves to be forgiven if we haven't learned how to forgive others, even those who are not deserving of that forgiveness. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 14 through 15, in his Sermon on the Mount, if you forgive others their trespasses, which means sins, the things that they've done that have hurt you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is not uh, an asterisk on the message of the gospel that Jesus came to bring salvation to everyone. This is an explanation of who's going to be able to actually receive that salvation. Because you're not going to be able to receive it if you haven't learned how to give it. We got to understand how to give it. And Jesus isn't just talking about forgiving people who deserve forgiveness. This is the same Jesus who, while he is on the cross in excruciating pain, dying, suffering for my sins, looks down at the Roman soldiers who have mocked him, teased him, beat him, and who are now gambling over his clothes and utters the words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He understands what he's asking. Jesus tells a parable about a servant who owed a million dollars to his master. And when it came time to collect, he didn't have any money to pay it back. And so his life and his family's lives were owed as payments. But the master shows mercy and forgives his debt completely. And immediately afterwards, the servant goes out and finds a man who owes him a hundred dollars, few hundred dollars, and begins to rough him up and demands he pays him back. And when he can't, says, throw this man's family in prison. 
And when the master finds out about it, he demands that the man pay him what is owed one way or the other. Jesus finishes the parable by giving this warning in Matthew 18. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your hearts. As followers of the way of Jesus, we're not called to forgive the, we are not called to forgive only those who deserve it, but rather we are called to forgive those who just like us are unworthy of that forgiveness. I don't know if there's a harder relationship for this than a difficult relationship with your father. Now, maybe for you, you're you're not sure if you have anything to forgive your dad for. That's wonderful. But I know that there are many of us sitting here listening to this, feeling a burning inside because you're not sure if you could ever let go of this or that or the way this hurt or the way they were or the way that they weren't there or how they left or what happened to them or didn't they care or you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how bad this hurt. You don't know all the times they said they would and then they didn't. You, I can't trust anybody because of this relationship. I understand that. And there may be a lot of work to be done here. In fact, there probably is. But that does not mean that you need to hold on to bitterness, anger, grudging inside of your heart for one more minute. You need to forgive your father, not excuse him, not remove any boundaries that you've placed around that relationship. You don't have to say that it's okay that whatever happened, happened. It's just important to forgive. When you hold the anger or the hatred or the uh, offense in your heart, you're building a cage around your own heart, preventing yourself from experiencing healing and freedom and love and forgiveness. Holding in that in your heart and refusing to forgive because they're unworthy of forgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. The only person who is being hurt by that is you. You have to release it. Release it. Release the grudge. Release the bitterness. Offer forgiveness the way Christ offered forgiveness without asking anything in return. And it's a hard thing to do. And I'll give you two practical ways to to do it. And the first, and it's so simple, I know, and it's like, oh, of course the pastor would say this, but I'm telling you that I have had people in my life that were not worthy of forgiveness that I have forgiven. And the way that I got to that space is I prayed for them every single day. Prayer. Prayer changes your heart. Prayer changes your mentality. Prayer changes your mind. And prayer can change your circumstances. Pray for your father. Maybe your father... Uh, is here. And if he is, ask for blessings over him, whether he deserves it or not. And when you begin this, it may be difficult. You may be thinking, you may go to start praying for him. You're like, I want to pray for my father. I want to pray for a fungus to cover his whole lawn so that it never turns green again. Then he'll know how my heart feels. It may start that way. But over time, you show up and you just keep saying the words, even if you don't mean them, God, I pray a blessing over him. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for his presence in my life. I ask that you would begin to heal my heart, heal our relationship. I ask for healing in his life. I ask for your salvation in his life, God, for the life-changing message of your gospel over him that he might know what I know and that is even he can be forgiven. Pray, pray over him. Pray blessings over his life. Maybe your father's not here anymore. And in that case, the prayers are for you.
Father, I lift up my dad. And I just ask that you would help me to heal from the wounds that he left me with. Every single day. It may take years, but your heart will soften. I had a scenario. It wasn't a father. It was a friend that had betrayed me in a, in a way that I didn't know if I could ever let go of. And I prayed for him every single day. And I just know how long it was because this is how petty I, I felt about it in the beginning. 13 months and two weeks, I prayed for him every single day. And then one day I was praying and I realized, oh, I really mean this when I'm asking blessings over him now. My heart's changed. Your heart will change. Pray over him. The second tip I have is also good for, for us and one that we need in forgiving our fathers, and that is go to counseling. Go to counseling. Go see a real licensed therapist, one who is a Christian, who shares a Christian worldview, and let somebody help you understand what you're feeling and how to heal from it. Especially if you fall, if you fall in the category of massive father pains, you need counseling and a lot of prayer. If you fall in the category of middle, like I'm just not really sure how to put a finger on it, they will help you untangle and unravel that so that you can forgive and heal and move forward and have a continued great relationship with your father. That may not be out of the realm of possibility for you. Counseling. Second thing is this. So forgive your father. Second thing is this. Honor your father. We talked about honoring our mothers on Mother's Day. And I have to tell you that the commandment that we taught on on Mother's Day applies also to fathers. That everything we said about honoring mother, one of the things that we like to do at church is beat the crap out of our dads on Father's Day and then talk about how great moms are on Mother's Day. And I, but I just need you to understand that what the Bible says about honoring mothers, it says the same thing about honoring fathers. That, that the passage is honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. Bless and honor your father. Show him honor. Give honor with your words. Give honor with your actions. Give honor in covering. Honor is not like respect. Respect is something you earn. You earn my respect. Honor is something I give you freely. Honor is something I give you because God's given it to me. I will honor you. Honor your father. There's different ways to do that. Honor is to lift a person up through your words, your attitude, and your actions. Honoring your father keeps wounds from festering, from getting infected, because when we don't honor, we fall to bitterness, repetition, and pettiness, and they make our wounds bigger. Honor your father. A couple different ways to honor your father, practical ways, uh, especially if you have a difficult to honor father. If you have one of those, then uh, the same things we talked about on Mother's Day is how you do it. Uh, we talked about the story where Saul is hunting David to kill him. And David respects the king, and so he doesn't fight back. He's hiding in different places. And one time he's hiding in a cave, and Saul actually goes into the cave to go to the bathroom. And he's crouched and in a vulnerable position going to the bathroom in the cave. And David chooses, instead of wounding Saul, to keep him safe. He even cuts off a piece of his rag to show him that he could have wounded him. And he repents of that because he feels that that was too much dishonor in the situation. Instead, when you have an opportunity to wound your father, choose instead to protect him. 
Another story is Noah uh, gets off the ark and he's been through unimaginable horrors. If you know the flood story and the Noah's ark story, it is unimaginable horrors. That's what it is. It's not appropriate for kids' decorations, but it is. Anyways, uh, Noah gets off, he plants a vineyard, and once the time has gone by for him to grow the grapes and to make wine, he immediately drinks all the wine that they've made. He gets hammered drunk and passes out naked. It's that kind of day. His sons, he's got three of them, one of them finds Noah passed out naked and he thinks, ha, look at this, dad's passed out naked, goes and tells everybody about it, he's laughing about it. The other sons could join in on this opportunity to dishonor their father, but instead they choose to cover him. They literally walk backwards with a blanket and cover him. It means when you have the opportunity to wound, you protect. When you have the opportunity to shame, you cover. And, that's, that's, and then we honor with our words, with our actions. Maybe you have a great father who is worthy of of honor and you assume that he knows that never assume that he knows that honor your father with your words dad I appreciate you I'm so grateful for you in my life for the way that you lead me the way that you care for me the way that you love me and I honor you honor him with your actions honor 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 your father last thing is this to heal from father wounds acceptance acceptance. Healing from father wounds means accepting not just your father, but yourself. Because you may still be asking these identity questions that you didn't get an answer from or the right answer from, from your father. Who am I? Am I capable? Am I noticed? Am I good enough? Am I worthy of someone being proud of me? These answers are given to you, if not by your birth father, then by your heavenly father. He has given you an affirmative on each of these questions. The Bible talks about God being a father over and over and over again. And it's why it's hard for us dads, because the standard is pretty high when you hold it up against God. But the opposite effect happens a lot of times we apply what we know about our earthly fathers to our heavenly father. You know, we're, we're looking for discipline from him. We're a little bit nervous of the belt from him. We're wondering whether or not he'll be disappointed in us, whether or not we're worthy of his house. Jesus tells a story to help us understand what our heavenly father is really like. It's an incredible story. It's in, cha it's in the book of Luke chapter 15. And he tells these stories about how God values lost things, how he celebrates when they come home. And he gets to this story where he says uh, that there was a father with two sons and one of the sons, the younger of the two, decides that he wants to collect his inheritance now so that he can spend it however he wants. He doesn't want to wait for his father to die. In that culture, that's like saying to his father, you don't mean anything to me except for the possessions you will leave me. And it's this incredible wound that he offered his dad, but his dad complied and he said, I'll give you your inheritance, you may go. And he takes it and he leaves the household. He leaves his family behind. And he goes and he just blows the whole thing in wild living. He spends the whole amount of money in just a couple of years just, you know, gambling in Vegas and just everything. All the worst things is what he's doing. And then he's got nothing left and a famine hits the land. And when the famine hits the land, he's broke. He's got nowhere to go. And he, so he ends up working for somebody as a, as a just feeding pigs and his payment is you can eat whatever's left over after you feed the pigs. So this man's living in a pig sty. He is eating leftover slop 
and his life is a mess, and he's thinking, who can I turn to when my life is this bad? It says that he came to his senses, and he said, even my father's servants are treated better than this. That my father's servants have a place to eat, they, they have a place to sleep, they have food to eat, they're cared for. So I know what I'll do. I'll go home, and I'll ask my dad if I can just be one of his servants. And he starts going home, and as he's going home, he's rehearsing this speech in his head over and over and over again that he's going to say. He's saying, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He's saying it over and over and over again. Father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he's getting closer to the house. There's a hill right before you can see it. And he sees that hill, and his stomach is wrenching. His, oh, he's so nervous because he offended his family. He doesn't deserve to be there. He, he hurt his father so desperately, but he's going to go over that hill. He's going to say, he's going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Uh, please hire me as one of your servants. I know I'm no longer worthy to be your son. He's going to say, he's rehearsing it over and over. But at the same time, the same father is standing on his front porch looking west at that hill as he's done every day since his son left. Just hoping, imagining, that one day at the top of that hill will be the figure of his son coming home. And on this day, it happens. He's standing there and he sees his son crest that hill. And, the, and Jesus says that he doesn't wait for him to get there. He doesn't saunter to his son. That he casts off his cloak and sprints as fast as he can the distance between them. He gets to his son and he wraps him up in a big hug. And his son is starting the speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And his father says, stop, 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 stop. I don't need to hear all that. Doesn't matter. And he yells to his servants and says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate in that house. And what Jesus wanted you to understand is that this is the kind of father that you have in heaven. He's not disappointed in you. He's not ashamed of you. He is not waiting with the switch to remind you of all your sins. He has forgiven you. He desires relationship with you. And when you come over that hill, no matter where you're coming from, he celebrates you. We have the opportunity to be accepted by our heavenly father. No matter what kind of relationship, good or bad, you have with your earthly father, your heavenly father tells you that you are accepted. And so receive the words of truth from him. I am accepted. I am chosen. I am loved. I am God's creation. I am precious in his sight. I am forgiven by his blood. I have been redeemed because of his sacrifice. I will never be left or forsaken or forgotten. I have an eternal inheritance and nothing can separate me from the love of God. As you understand the truth about God's love and come to know your true self in Christ, it will free you to let go of the pain and forgive your birth father. This new perspective created in you will enable you to see your earthly father through different eyes and allow you to live in freedom. 
So before I finish, that's how we go through this process of healing from father wounds. But before I finish, I do want to take a couple moments to talk to the dads in the room. Dads, we're not perfect. We're going to create some wounds in our kids. It's inevitable. Our sin and our brokenness makes it inevitable. We're going to make mistakes. But what we can do is our very best to take the good things that we learned from our fathers and pass those lessons on to our children combined with the good things we've learned from our Father in heaven. And in doing so, take responsibility for the hearts of our children. In his whole life, David's biggest mistake was not taking responsibility for the hearts of his children. So I want to leave you today with four ways that you can take responsibility for the hearts of your children. First, be vulnerable. Your kids are going to go through it. All of it. All of the highs and lows of this life. There is no pain that you, can, you can't shield them from everything. They're going to experience it. They're going to have good days. They're going to have the worst days. And they don't just wait to start experiencing all these highs and lows when they're adults and know how to express it. They begin to experience these things before they even develop language. They go through the heaviness of this life as small children and keep going through it as long as they're on their earth. And as their father, they do need to be able to look to you for strength. To see that they can get through it. To know there is stability in their world. But that is not the only thing that they need. They need you to show them that it is okay to not be okay sometimes. They need you to admit to them when you make mistakes so that they don't think they have to be perfect. They need you to be vulnerable in front of them and from time to time with them. At some point in life, they're going to realize that you don't walk on water. Maybe your kids are grown and they've already figured it out. It's better for them to see vulnerability in you now than realize it was a sham later. And if your kids are grown, it is not too late for you to be vulnerable with them either. Vulnerability with our children builds a bridge in a relationship. Every single time we open up in vulnerability, we tear down a wall that we've built. No matter how many years that wall has stood, you can be vulnerable with your kids. It'll also, as we're vulnerable, give them a better understanding of the gospel. And dads, that is your number one priority. Your responsibility to them is to teach your children about the gospel in a way that sticks for them. To offer them an understanding of the gospel message of Jesus Christ is the greatest calling on anyone's life and especially on that of a father. Vulnerability ranks high on how you do that. Paul is writing a letter in the epistles and he needs people to understand as he writes these letters to them and the book of Corinthians is a letter of correction. And as he writes this letter of correction, he, he says in chapter 12, he says, listen, I'm not perfect. Oh, I'm the worst of everybody. I make mistakes all the time. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm so bad. But God says to me, after this particular time, he's asking God to heal him of some of the mistakes he's making. And it says, God says to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Dads, 
when you allow your children to see that you have weaknesses, you give them an opportunity to see how Christ is filling them in. You give them the opportunity to know that, hey, I, I am just a man. Whatever greatness you see in me is, ref- is Christ reflected in me. This is my weaknesses. Be vulnerable with your kids so that they can understand the gospel through you, so they can see what Christ is doing in you and through you. Parents of grown kids, it is never too late to come back and say, I'm sorry. Or here's where I wish I could have done it differently. Or here's actually, maybe it's not, maybe it's just a, hey, I just want you to know that this season of your childhood, this was really hard for me. But here's what Christ did in me. Here's how God rescued me. I just know so many of you praying for your grown children. And I want you to know that the best way for them to experience the gospel from you is through a lens of vulnerability. It'll give you the opportunity to show them the way he's changing you. And so, vulnerable, be vulnerable. Second thing is this, be present, parents. Be present, especially parents of young children. Not randomly present, but consistently present. You may not teach your child a revolutionary life lesson every week. You don't have to be the dad from a a cartoon or from a 50s sitcom that's always got like Andy Griffith, the most perfect scenario. It's gonna turn this into a teaching lesson right now with the most best country accent you've ever heard. You don't have to be Andy Griffith. When Dagny was born, there was an Andy Griffith show marathon going on in the hospital and I watched the Andy Griffith show for 12 hours and I had to listen the whole time to Rail saying, can you turn that off? And I was like, Rail? It's Andy Griffith, you know, and uh, (laughs) anyways, that's why I'm such a good dad. (laughs) Um, I can't, I lost my place. I was thinking about Andy Griffith. You You don't have to have a life lesson to show them every single time you talk to them. What they need from you more than anything is just to be present with them. You can do this every single day. Understand that the time you have with your kids is temporary, especially while they're young. It's always just a phase. Be present with your child. Sometimes being dependable is way more important than doing something remarkable. If you've simply been present for your children, you've accomplished something far greater than you can ever measure. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no, your no. And fathers, I would suggest that one of the greatest gifts that you can have, you can give to your children is for your words to matter. Be trustworthy by being present. Be present for your kids and be trustworthy. And I would also argue that it's not too late for you to begin this. You know, you got older kids, or even if your kids are out, you can still start showing up today. Start showing up, start being consistent. You can't change how your words fell flat yesterday, but you can control the way that your words land tomorrow. Start being present. Third thing is this, be a leader. You've been called and created to be a leader in your household. One of the things that I think that we need the most in our culture right now is dads who are willing to be leaders. Ephesians chapter five is a whole chapter about how you've been created to be a leader in your home. It doesn't say that your house has to be a caricature uh, of a 1950s sitcom where dad's the boss and everybody does whatever he says and brings him coffee as he sits in his easy chair. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, Ephesians talks about a husband who is sacrificial, who is sacrificing for his wife and for his family and a marriage where both submit to one another. But you are still called to be a leader. 
And being a leader doesn't mean taking authority. It means taking responsibility. Take responsibility for your home. Lead your family. Lead your family in reconciliation. Lead your fam- Be the first one that says, I'm sorry. Lead your family in communication. There is a running shtick about how bad dads can be at communication. Change it. Lead your family in talking about what's going on in your lives, how you're feeling, what you're going through, and conversations about Jesus with your kids. Lead your family closer to Jesus. Lead your family in fun together. Lead the culture of your home. Culture is what people experience when they're around you. Create a culture in your home that your kids want to keep coming back to when they're grown. Create a culture in your home that other people get around and want to be around because they want to catch that culture. Culture is contagious. Ephesians 6, 4, he's been talking about how we should parent our children and even discipline our children. Your children need discipline from you. They need you to help them make the right choices. Kids can't be left to make all their choices on their own. Uh, they, They just can't. They will go for, Andy Griffith says, they'll just go after the shiniest thing, no matter whether or not it's going to hurt them, okay? Learned that the day Dagny was born. You have to help make decisions for your kids and correct them when they make the wrong ones. I needed correction when I bought a motorcycle with no money. But he says this after he says that, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. You know, don't confuse discipline for just yelling. Volume doesn't equal discipline. Don't confuse discipline for just the belt. It's not just coming in and being the dad. The kids have been waiting in their room because mom was done, you know, and dad got home after work, you know, and, and the kids are up there. Go get them. And you just go up there and you yell and you let them have it and then you leave. That's not what it's about. He says, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Lead your children in understanding who God is. Lead your kid. We, we've been doing something this year called Practicing the Way. If you haven't been a part of it, when it kicks back up at the end of August, I really encourage you to find a Practicing the Way group and to start learning how to live the practices of Jesus. That's all we've been doing. We've been studying the way that Jesus lived and learning how to apply it directly into our lives. And in those practices, we th- see things like prayer and scripture study, and we see Sabbath, and we see all these teachings of Jesus that we can live out. And dads, you can give these practices to your kids. In fact, one of the greatest gifts you can give them as you lead, bring them up in the discipline of the Lord is to teach them how to live in his disciplines so that they can learn young that prayer changes things. So that they can learn young the, the beauty and the richness of God's word. So that they can learn young the importance of a pattern of rest. We can teach them all of those things. You can even give your kids the spiritual discipline of fasting so that they know when they hit those ages in life where self-control is gone, how they can start to build it up again. We teach them the disciplines. Lead your family and lead them closer to Christ. Fourth thing is this. Be fathered. Everybody needs to be fathered especially the young dads and the young men. You can't father if you don't know how to be fathered, to be led. 
If you don't know how to submit authority to another man in your life, somebody to lead you spiritually, to give you advice, to care for you as you care for others. I think there's a lot of dads that I know who didn't have dads and that are absolutely killing it, that are loving their kids so well, caring for their kids so well, making their, giving them what they always wished they had. I love to see it. And I always give the same warning and encouragement. Just because you don't have a father on this earth, you still need to be fathered so that you can learn more and more how to father. You need someone to father you. It says in 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, you who are younger, young men, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Maybe you're lucky enough like me to be fathered by your father. And if that's you, let your dad father you. Ask him for advice. Let him in. Tell him what's going on. Allow them to speak into it. I allow my dad to father me, and I can't imagine pastoring this church the last eight years without his role as my father. Maybe that's not your story, and your relationship with your dad is different, and if that's the case, that is why God gave us the church. There are a lot of gaps that our brokenness creates that God gave us the church in order to fill. Here you can find a spiritual mentor. You can find someone to come alongside you spiritually, and father you, someone to submit authority to so that you can learn from, confide in them, and be led in them by them. We need to be fathered. I believe that every generation has the responsibility to come in and just try to do it a little bit better. We know it's not going to be perfect. We know that we haven't got it all figured out. But every generation has the responsibility to their children to come in and give them the very best that they can. And so that's my encouragement to you today on Father's Day. If you're in here today and you're desperate for a father, you're desperate to be wanted, to be seen, to be accepted, to know that he's proud of you. I want you to know that for you right now, he's standing on that front porch looking at that hill, just praying, hoping that you'll crest it so that he can celebrate with you, love you, embrace you, make you one of his own children. And if that's you and you're ready to enter into a relationship with Jesus today, every head bowed, every eye closed, will you just pray this prayer with me? It always starts with a conversation. Every relationship does. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. Forgive me for every mistake I made along the way. I want to be free in you. I want to be healed by you. I want to be filled with you, God. So all that I am from this day on, I am yours. Take me home. In Jesus' name, amen.